0: Amen. I can see you, but I don't think you can see me at this point. (laughs) There we go. Good Good morning. Good to be in the house of the Lord. And as pastors just said, you never know what your contact with other folk will produce in terms of the kingdom of God and the days which lie ahead. And so the challenge is for every one of us to listen to the voice of God and then do what He says, amen? We're presently in a series entitled, God Meets Us in Difficult Times, amen? Oh, brother, that's pretty weak. I said, God meets us in difficult times. That's a little better. Now I know some of you are awake. Good. However, our major difficulty is not something that happens day by day which we can get out of kind of thing, but it's the human heart and its sin, which we ourselves can do nothing about. But God is prepared to meet us in our desperate need, and the fact is only God can deliver us, or anybody else for that matter from sin. So, we're going to deal this morning with two Scripture passages from Exodus that deal with this. Actually, it's almost like a beginning of Exodus and an end of Exodus, but there are two passages. Both passages, many of you will be familiar with. The first passage I'm going to call Divine Deliverance, and if we can have slide one, please, that will give you the passage. Listen to it carefully or read it. Maybe do both. Exodus chapter 13, verse 17. Now it came about when Pharaoh had let the people go that God led them by the way of the land of the Philistines. Did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, even though it was near. For God said, Lest this people change their minds when they see war and they return to Egypt. Hence, God led the people around by the way of the wilderness to the Red Sea, and the sons of Israel went into marital array from the land of Egypt. And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, saying, I've made a solemn promise to God, and I've sworn to myself saying, God shall take care of you as he has taken care of me, and you shall carry my bones up from hence. And they set out from Succoth, and camped in Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord was going before them in a pillar of cloud by day, and a pillar of fire by night, to lead them on the way. that they might travel therefore by day and by night, He didn't take them or He didn't take away from them the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night from before the people. This passage, which probably you know in terms of the story itself, really gives us four aspects of God's magnificent love in His divine deliverance from Egypt, and you know the story of Egypt, in His grace to the people of Israel who had been in Egypt, in His deliverance of them to the destination that God had for them in mind, and then on top of all of that, the direction which God gives. Think with me a moment this morning of that divine deliverance. I doubt if there's anyone here who's been to church for a little while, and certainly if you've been serving the Lord or knowing the Lord for a while, you can recall the story. The Bible clearly teaches us that the nation that was to become Israel were slaves in Egypt for at least 430 years. And Scripture says God heard their cry. Now, we need to know, Scripture is very clear. They weren't crying out to God in Egypt. They were just crying out because of the burden that the taskmasters were putting on them. But there was only one who could deliver them from Egypt, namely God. And God heard their crying and was going to deliver them out of Egypt once and for all. The only means of deliverance from Egypt was under the cover of blood or because of blood. So, God told Moses on that very important day that he was going to issue in their deliverance from Egypt, the people were to slaughter a lamb and sprinkle the blood on the top and the sides of the door. And that very night, the death angel passed over all the houses in Egypt. And those houses where there was no blood, the firstborn died. Where the angels saw blood, No child died that very night. And consequently, the Egyptians sent Israel out of the land. And remember, they're close to two million people. This isn't a few. Two million people God sent out of the land because he delivered them from Egypt. Slide number two tells us about divine grace. Egypt, biblically, is a picture of sin. The ultimate goal was not simply deliverance from sin. We were born in sin. We're united with Adam in our rebellion against God. And there is no exception. The only answer to man's predicament is for men and women to be introduced to the one person who did not deserve to be banished from God but who was obedient to the point of death on the cross of Calvary so that sinners, by the grace of Jesus Christ, may receive what we don't deserve in any way, shape, or form. There's not one of us here this morning who doesn't start from this very point in life, finding in our own lives the deliverance from sin And the only possible agent of deliverance is the shed blood of Jesus Christ, who died on the cross of Calvary. And so, this is clearly pointed out in our story this morning. For any person, any person without blood on the doorpost did not escape judgment. They never left the land of sin. They remained in it and were eventually destroyed. The truth could not be clearer than the Scripture presents for us in the story, that every one of us needs the blood of Jesus Christ who died on the cross of Calvary to cover our sin. That's the only way you or I or anyone can find deliverance from the power of sin. The old hymn writer pinned the hymn. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of the Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. For my cleansing, this I see. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. For my pardon, this my plea. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing can my sin erase. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nor of works, tis all of grace. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Let me take you To the next slide, which talks about divine destination. It's all in the story. Since the Israelites had to leave Egypt immediately at the time, once they were delivered because the blood was on the top and the sides of the door, they couldn't even wait, evidently, for their bread to be fully cooked. They left with, as it were, uncooked bread. They took it with them uncooked. It was a visual reminder for them and it is for us that no one can play around with salvation from sin which Jesus Christ offers us. You don't debate it. You don't put it to one side for a few years and think about it. you got to get a hold of it right away. Take it and grab it and make it yours in the name of Jesus for only the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses for sin. For the first time, these folk who became the Israelites left their homes in Egypt, and they became a people freed from the bondage of slavery. Interesting is the fact that actually God had them headed to the promised land. It's highlighted by the fact that the Israelites somehow, at least Joseph, knew this factor. You remember Joseph? He said, when you leave Egypt, take my bones with you and bury them in the promised land. Do you remember? Joseph had been second to Pharaoh in Egypt. He'd saved the world in that sense in Egypt and Israel from the seven years of famine. Why take Joseph's bones with them? Joseph's faith was in God's promise to give Israel the land of Canaan. Now, they were just getting out of Egypt. His belief was God was going to lead you somewhere, not just out of Egypt, but to the promised land. And he demanded of his brothers that the future generation that were going to leave Egypt must take his bones. They were not to remain in Egypt, but they would go, and they must be buried in the promised land, of which Israel at that point knew very little about at all. It would be many, many years before the whole nation would arrive in what is called, biblically, the promised land. But in this man's heart, he knew it was going to happen. He said, I believe God, and God's going to lead us, and we're going to get there to the promised land. They were on the way to Canaan, the land of promise. And so Exodus tells us in Exodus chapter 13, verse 19, and Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God shall surely take care of you, and you shall carry my bones from here with you. Joshua, a little later on in the story, gives us the record of the burial of these bones in a very, very, very small portion of the land that was really going to be entirely the promised land. It had already been bought by the sons of Israel. And so Joshua chapter 24 and verse 33, 32, pardon me, says Now they buried the bones of Joseph, which the sons of Israel had brought up from Egypt to Shechem, in the piece of ground which Jacob had bought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for a hundred pieces of money. And they became the inheritance of Joseph's son." Slide number four gives you what I've called the divine GPS. Now, I'm a little older than my boys are, obviously, (laughs) and every time Mark gets in the car, my son, first thing he does is put his phone up and figure out where we're going and turn on the GPS. God initiated the GPS long, long, long ago before we even dreamed about the thing. God provided for this nation of Israel 600,000 people, a GPS to guide them to the promised land. Following their initial departure from Egypt, God directed them around the Philistine nation, who were a very warlike nation. The Israelites were not ready yet to fight. They'd just been delivered from 430 years of slavery. However, in the years that followed they were equipped for warfare, and God led them, and the way He led them didn't exclude warfare from their experience, for only four chapters later, we are told they had to fight the Amalekites. We need to remember, though, as they left Etham at the edge of the desert and then crossed the Red Sea, and we know that story, they inhabited what really was uninhabited land. It really was a pathless desert until three days later they would encamp at Marah, the place you remember, where they said, God give us water, we don't have any water. And God miraculously gave them water. How on earth, have you ever stopped to think of it? How on earth could anyone lead a nation of 600,000 people? You have a job leading 100 people, leave alone. 600,000 people. How could even Moses keep them together as a people? Moses wasn't going to be able to do that. But God provided direction for them day and night in their journey by two pillars. God led them, the 600,000 of these Israelites, by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And so, Exodus chapter 13, verse 21 tells us, and the Lord was going before them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead them in a way, and a pillar of fire by night to give them light, that they might travel day and night. He didn't take away the pillar of cloud or the pillar of fire from before the people. It was God's GPS to give these 600,000 people unto Moses the direction in which they were to go day and night, week in, week out, month on, month out. It was God leading them by light by day and a cloud of fire by night. God was clearly directing them through territory which they'd never been in before and which they had no knowledge of. Now, note very carefully as you read the story or you recall the story this morning, God didn't just intend to take these people out of Egypt. He didn't just say, let's get out of Egypt and then go your own way, do what you like. God's intention was very clearly not only to take them out of the land of sin, which was the land of Egypt, but to lead them into Canaan, the promised land. God has a divine purpose. Take them out of Egypt, lead them to the promised land. And God didn't just take away the penalty for sin for you and I. But he took it away by his own precious blood from Calvary. That's how you and I get free from sin. And if you're born again, that's the only way you get in, by the blood of the Lamb. And God's intention by freeing you from sin, washing you in his blood so you become whiter than snow, is to take you to heaven. He's not just freeing you from something to do something He likes to do. He's doing it to take you to heaven itself. And the second passage I'm going to look at this morning, which is really at the end of the story of Exodus, comes from Exodus chapter 40 in slide number 5. We'll give you that one. God's desire was to be central to their lives. I don't all of us always understand that God's desire is to be totally central in our hearts and our lives once he's saved us from sin and delivered us and has taken us to the promised land. Exodus chapter 40 verse 34 and onward says, and then the cloud covered the tent of meeting. Now, this is the end of the story, right? We've taken the beginning. This is really the end of the story. The cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud or the glory of God had settled on it, and the glory of God filled this tabernacle. And throughout all their journeys, wherever the cloud was taken up from over a tabernacle, the sons of Israel would go out and say, Okay, it's time to move. God's moving, we move with him. Wouldn't that be good if you did that? God's moving, and we move with him. I'm gonna do my own thing. Oh, oh what, watch out, you're in trouble if you're it. God wanted them to move with him, but it was the cloud that was not taken out, taken up from them from the day they set out. It was never taken up. Throughout their journeys, Exodus tells us, the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and there was a fire by night, and the sight of the power of God by day, and the whole house of Israel. The second passage, that passage that we just read, or the story that you know so well, teaches us a truth very clearly. It teaches us that God desires to presence himself in the center of the nation of the people forever. Can you stop to imagine this for a minute? Here is Israel in Egypt. God delivers them out of Egypt under the cover of blood. He has a divine purpose. He's going to take them to the promised land. And the Scripture teaches very clearly as we talk about the tabernacle, that God's desire was to dwell in their midst as they moved from A to B to C to D, wherever they were going. God wanted to dwell in their midst. And the passage, chapter 40 and verses 4 to 38, takes you to the end of the story. You need to remember that God alone can cleanse you and me from sin, and God alone can lead us to the promised land, which for us is heaven itself, so you can dwell with him forever. However, the ultimate goal for the people of Israel was to be in the promised land where God would dwell with them and for Israel in the holy of holies of the tabernacle. Now you know the story of the tabernacle. I'm sure you can picture in your mind, the great tabernacle that was eventually built, and At the end of the tabernacle if this was the tabernacle kind of thing was the place where the holy of holies was only the high priest could go in there once a year and this was where the very presence of god dwelt the holiness of god was in that particular place of the tabernacle but when the tabernacle began as you read the story it was simply a very small tent like structure And the power of God, the presence of God, filled that small tent-like structure. And whenever the tent moved, Israel moved. Wherever the tent stopped, Israel stopped. God wanted to dwell in their midst and direct them day by day. The very presence of God, the Scripture tells us, dwelt in this very small tent-like structure. And the Scripture tells us that once they began settling in the land, this is many years later, Israel began settling in the land. God said, now I want you to build me a tabernacle, a little more permanent than just this tent-like structure. Initially, it had been a very small tent-like structure, but the tent-like structure was like God's GPS, it kept leading them. As it moved, Israel moved. As it stopped, Israel stopped. And when they get to the tabernacle, the cloud which had led them previously now assumed its place not only in the midst of the small tent like structure, which visibly reminded them of the glory of God, it began to center in the tabernacle itself. And look at Exodus chapter 40 tells the story. Chapter 40 and verse 35, Moses was not able to enter this small tent-like structure in the beginning, because the cloud of God, the glory of God had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle, this tent-like structure. And Exodus chapter 40, verse 34 says, and the cloud covered and dwelt in this small tent-like place, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. When it moved, they moved. When it stopped, they stopped. Even Moses, the very special man of God, I believe, was not allowed to enter this small tent when it began. And when God had been protecting and guiding His people through all the area, it was the glory of God, the cloud of the glory of God that filled this small tent that led them. And as long as the cloud rested or stopped, Israel stopped. As soon as the cloud moved, Israel moved. Many months later, as you read the story, or as you know and recall the story this morning, this tent-like structure, this very small structure, was followed by a more permanent tabernacle, which God gave the orders to build. And they built the tabernacle. And I'm sure you've seen pictures of the Old Testament tabernacle. It was built, and then the Levitical tribe took charge of everything that pertained to the tabernacle. They dismantled it at some point when God said, move. They moved to place B, and they put it up again. It was a constant thing that was moving amongst the nation of Israel. And they re-erected it wherever Israel stopped. However. Even now, the people were not allowed to pro- approach this place where the glory of God was. Neither were they allowed, basically, in the temple. Only the Levites could go in, and even the Levites couldn't go into the Holy of Holies. Only the high priest could go into that central place in the tabernacle which was built. And he could only go in on the year of Day of Atonement. And even then, not without blood for himself and the sins of the people. Because it was curtained off by a very, very, Bible calls it, a very thick veil. The veil was approximately 60 feet high, 30 feet wide, 4 inches thick. And it was said, and the record will tell you again and again if you read, that horses on either side of that veil could not pull the veil apart. Anyone going behind that veil, apart from the high priest once a year, died immediately. You couldn't go into the presence of God. You weren't allowed to go into the presence of God. If you did, it was death immediately. Many years later, as the story continues, Solomon would build a permanent tabernacle in Jerusalem. And even on that permanent tabernacle which Solomon built, there was the Holy of Holies into which nobody was allowed to go except the high priest once a year behind the veil to offer blood for himself and the sins of the people. All of us need to note this morning that the actual form or the place of the tabernacle, there was a separation in that place between the presence of God, the holiness of God, the glory of God, and the people. There is in the passage of Scripture we see the ultimate goal of God dealing with the Israelites and the various temple structures from stage to stage to stage. But it tells us one truth, and don't miss this truth. It tells us that the eternal God, the everlasting God, the God of created heavens and earth, wanted to dwell in the midst of his people. And we are his people. And let me tell you this morning, God wants to dwell in the midst of his people, even today. He redeemed them from sin. He delivered them from Egypt. He led them to the promised land, but he wanted to dwell there. Now, let me come to a conclusion this morning. Some of you say, thank goodness he's coming to a conclusion. It's all right. Let me come to a conclusion this morning. You see that, what's that twofold story of the beginning and the end of Exodus really clearly tell us? It tells us one thing. Well, perhaps maybe more than one, but at least one. God is still speaking to us this very morning. God, the eternal God, the everlasting God, the creator of heavens and earth, is still speaking to us. Every one of us started out as a slave to sin in Egypt, as it were. And the only possible way of deliverance from Egypt was blood. For Israel, it always was, and for many years to come, the blood of an animal. But for you and me this very morning, it is the blood of Jesus Christ who came all the way, hallelujah, from the glory of heaven. We'd live for all time as the divine Son of the living God. And the New Testament teaches us, and you know it as well as I do, that Jesus came down from heaven and the glory of heaven where he sat and reigned as the very son of the living God. He came down to Calvary where he died and shed his blood not for himself. He didn't go to Calvary for himself but it was for you and me. And the only way to be saved is to accept the blood of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, that it may be applied to our life, that we can be freed from the bondage of sin which binds us. There is no other way to become a Christian or to live a Christian life. If you refuse the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, to walk in your own way and in your own righteousness, then the devil will take you happily to hell. And the Bible is very clear about it. It's totally serious in all of Scripture. When I was a little guy growing up, we used to sing a little chorus as kids. Heaven or hell, which will it be? Where will I spend eternity? And you and I, Either spend eternity in heaven or hell. But if you accept Jesus Christ and ask Him into your life, or if you've done it already, and ask Him to cleanse you, and have asked you to ask Him to cleanse you by His own precious blood, and note carefully, and then live for God, He's prepared to lead you and guide you day by day through every experience of life, to eventually bring you into the promised land or heaven. Because God never delivers from Egypt just to deliver. He delivers you with the concept of taking you to the promised land or for us to heaven itself. There will be difficulties, yes. There will be battles to be faced, yes. We're clearly told that. But you need to hold on to God and fight. Ephesians tells us, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against powers, against the world forces of darkness, against the spiritual wickedness in high places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God that you may be able to resist the day in the day and having done all to stand. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, Be of a sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adverse, the devil is like a roaring lion, seeking who may devour. There's not one moment you or I as a child of God if you're born again of the living God can sit back and take it easy. You've got to be on the outlook. You've got to live for God. The New Testament teaches us very clearly that when Jesus died on the cross and shed his own blood, that very blood can bring you forgiveness of sin and deliver from the land of Egypt and sin but god made something very special and teaches us something very specially and unique and he makes it totally clear and slide number 6 tells us this thing it says for the veil all right, which had been up to this point the thing which separated man from God. It was a veil in the little tent structure. It was a veil in the tabernacle. It was a veil which continued even into the days of Jesus Christ before he died. It separated everyone from the glory of God, from the presence of God, from the blessing of God. But when Jesus died, on the cross of Calvary. Scripture tells us that that veil was torn in two that opened the way for you and for me to go into the very presence of God. Matthew tells us, chapter 27 and verse 33, and behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks split. Jesus, by his death on the calvary made it possible for your personal entrance into the very presence of god at any hour at any day at any moment at any time in any problem you can go right into the very presence of god no wonder hebrews writes in chapter 1 verse 3 he is the radiance of the glory and the exact representation in the nature of God, And he upholds all things by the word of his power. And when he had made purification for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He died. And the disciples saw him go back to heaven. And he sat down at the right hand of the eternal God. And the veil that separated you and me from the very presence of God was torn into the challenge and the truth of the writer to Hebrews is very clear Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16 let us therefore draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in times of need for Christ didn't enter the holy place made with hands a mere copy of the true one, but into heaven itself to appear in the presence of God for us. Folks, when Jesus died and that veil was rent and Jesus went back to glory, he opened the way for you and for me to go into the very presence of God. It doesn't matter whether it's Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday or whatever day. It doesn't matter what trouble you're in. It doesn't matter what pit you're in, if you like. You can go into the very presence of God. Oh, remember 1 Thessalonians, as Paul writes in chapter 5 and 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, that your spirit and your soul and body may be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. For faithful is he who calls you, and he will do it. Will you remember with me again for for a moment this morning that every one of us started in Egypt, in the land of sin. There was no hope personally of finding our way out of Egypt. There was no possibility of finding any way in which I could find myself cleansing for my sin. Only, hallelujah, only the blood of Jesus Christ is able to cleanse from sin. And once you have been saved and you accept what Jesus did and what he's already done, then you can go at any hour, at any moment, at any day, in any problem, into the very presence of God. That is sinking. You can go into the very presence of God. And the fact is, the very morning, this very morning, this Sunday morning, Jesus is living in heaven. He's up there in heaven, by the side of his father, a seat of glory. And do you know what he's doing? He's interceding for you and for you and for you and for me. He's there in glory, interceding for us. And finally, one day he's going to return to take those who've already died in Christ or are still alive, awaiting for him to go into glory itself. But friend, please, 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 remember, if you refuse to accept what Jesus Christ has done when he comes back for the church in what is called scripturally the second coming, it'll be too late then to change your mind. And the devil will happily take you into hell forever and ever and ever and that's solid biblical truth you may not like it you may say the preacher shouldn't say the bible says it and it's true you and i need jesus and if there's anybody here today anybody in the sound of my voice anybody in haida that needs jesus let me ask you do you know him have you found him if not Why not do it this morning? and Say, Jesus, come into my heart tonight. Take me from Egypt. Lead me to the promised land. Let me learn that the veil is gone and I can go into the very presence of Jesus because that's His invitation to you. Let's pray. Bow with me for a moment in prayer. Now may the Savior, who has abolished death, come to you and in your life and even in your sorrows, stay by your side in the darkness, carry you through all your distresses, and give you joy in that eternal morning. Amen. Folks, we all started out in Egypt. And there was only one deliverance. And God takes us to the promised land. And he rent the veil. So that you can go into the presence of eternal God. Why not avail yourself of the multiplicity of the things the eternal God has done for you? and for me. May God go with you today, and may the Word of God stay, stick, remain in your own heart and life, so that regardless of what happens this week, you can rejoice, because He's on the right hand of God interceding for you, and folks, you can go into the very presence of the living God. Lord, bless your people. Be with them. Surround them with your love. Cover them with your presence. I ask it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. God bless you. Go with you. Be with you. Day by day. And every moment of every day. Amen.